Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Sneakers and Cleats, the podcast. Welcome back to the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. It is Monday, September 11th. This is episode 23. As always, I'm Matt Roy, joined by Chuck McAtinick and Don Harris. Gentlemen, number 23, I think, is pretty obvious. I don't think there was a 23 before Michael Jordan. That was significant. The number just didn't exist. <laughs> I mean, Ryan, Ryan Sandberg is pretty significant. Yeah. To me, it was, anyway, growing up. You're a big baseball guy. I, I no. I knew Ryan Sandberg. I respected Ryan Sandberg, but I would have not known if he, that he was number twenty-three. I put Ryan Sandberg down because I, I thought of him. But I mean, you just think of Michael like that—the number just belongs to him. Yeah, <laughs> like twenty-four is up for debate. But I mean, twenty-four—I think we will probably all Kobe. agree on Kobe. And now, even though now with uh, Novak Djokovic, I think of twenty-four. I think of twenty-four titles, but. For for like six months, and that'll be twenty five. Yeah, I know he he can just play forever, but LeBron also LeBron twenty three when his uh yeah, his, but, Cle- but his Cleveland mean, years. But I mean, everybody in LeBron's generation wore twenty three because of Michael. They well, picked it because of Michael. Who Artie else wore Griffin here in San Antonio? I mean, there's a lot of kids who just wore twenty three because of Michael. Marshawn Lynch is probably the most prominent football twenty three. I don't think. think I would have known Marshawn Lynch was twenty. I thought he was twenty four. I thought he was twenty three with the Seahawks or twenty three with the Bills. Uh, he was twenty three with one of those remember. teams. But anyway, uh, Michael, pretty easy. Uh, before we get started, just uh, respect to all of the first responders. Today is nine eleven, so um, huge first responder day, and obviously our hearts are with everybody in New York and uh, who was affected by the tragedy twenty two years ago. So. Uh, Start off on that note, but we got a big show today uh, for what happened in New York in the Meadow or in New Jersey in the Meadowlands last night um, with the Dallas Cowboys just completely dominating the New York Giants. We react to that. We maybe overreact to the uh, Texas Longhorns, their dominant win over the Alabama Crimson Tide, and UTSA's win over Texas State, and uh, maybe what our concern level is for Frank Harris and the Roadrunners after a good game, but a scary game if you're the quarterback. So let's start with the big thing. What a performance last night. Oh, my God. Well, you're not kidding. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, there was a sense, at least I think, you know, several of us had the sense that just from what everybody was talking about during the offseason and throwing Super Bowl out there and what it takes to go about your business if you want to get that far into a season and, you know, play for – sports biggest trophy with Micah Parsons there was a level of intensity and I was thinking about this earlier today I don't know how this guy seems like the most mild-mannered good-natured easygoing easy to get along with easy to talk to guy 
and how there's this controlled rage on the field that how does he flip the switch to be that guy every single play and then the second the whistle blows yeah on a play or on a game he's a totally different dude i mean it's like this duality that i can't comprehend and obviously because i can't comprehend it i think that's probably <laughs> you know a reason why he's so great right there's some things that you just you can't really define or maybe have a grasp on how things are going with why this guy can play like he is yet flip a switch he can be buddies with guys across from from him across the line of scrimmage off the field but as soon as there's a game involved and it's called football this guy turns into a possessed it's not even possessed because it's obviously it's his brain doing all this like stuff. Control, I mean, it's just something it's to wonder controlled about controlled aggression and we it said is. last night I mean, I mean in the sports part we were just kind of kicking it around is he the best player in the NFL period if you're not named Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I think that's a fair question at I, this point. D- d- the, the video, the replays of taking on double teams of two 350-pounders and plowing through the two guys. It's just, I mean, he's not nearly as big as those guys, but he's that powerful. Because he plays with leverage and pad level, and he just gets around all of them. Okay, I'm going to be the wet blanket, okay? <laughs> Already? Giants r- drive right down the field. Yeah, they had a good seven. I think it was a seven-play, forty-eight-yard drive to start the game. I'm I'm going to contend that forty to nothing, dominant effort, is a little misleading. Not not a lot. It was a dominant performance by the Cowboys. Give them all the credit in the world. But I think the blocked field goal on special teams, and I think you can call it. I mean, it's a good play. It's an All-Pro. Diggs hitting. Saquon to cause the interception. It's a good play. He's an all-pro. But it's also one of those fluke kind of plays. Those two plays, I think the Giants shut down after that. Parsons was still dominant. They were still great. The Cowboys' offense was better than average. By They weren't great. They weren't shredding them. So I think that's a that's – a, it's, it's not like 40 to nothing – Typically, I, I mean, they smacked them. I don't want to take away from them, but I think there were a couple plays early that completely took the will away from the Giants, and it wasn't necessarily the Cowboys that did it more than the circumstance. Well, you can't have a 40-0 win without some luck. Like, Trayvon Diggs, that, that was probably going to be ruled a fumble if that ball, or uh, an interception, so it would have been an incomplete pass if that ball hit the ground. Just so happens that Deron Bland was there and caught it and ran it for a touchdown. Just so happens that Wanye Thomas blocks the kick and it goes right to someone else and they're able to play. run it back. It's a great play. Yeah. So they made their own luck, kind of. Yeah. But you can't have a 40-0 to zero win without the balls kind of bouncing your way on certain occasions. Like Stephon Gilmore's interception. Fantastic play. If that's two inches lower, that's not going to be an interception. They're not going to go in the score he made again. A great but play. he made a great but, play. But I, I think... I think if those two plays happened in the third quarter, it might have been 21 all. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, and then you have Graham Gano, who apparently forgot how to kick after he got paid, and he couldn't make the 35 yard or whatever it was later in the game either. Like, he missed three kicks all year last year, and he mixed, missed two yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it was the conditions, though, too. I mean, it yeah. was a deluge. Yeah. You know, I look at it like this. You know, if you're the Giants' offense, you almost everybody scripts their first drive. You've been working on that drive for six months. So, 
everybody should have a decent first drive that should at least, I would think, if you've done it right, you should go down and be able to at least kick get points. three points on your first drive of the season. I mean, you've been working on this all during training camp. This is the way it was going to be. To me, it was just they got these guys down. Yeah, they got some breaks, but the Cowboys stepped on their throats. I yeah. mean, to come out and start the third quarter, go right down the field and score, I mean, that was another message of the Giants. You're in over your head. And just, you know, you talk about the weather conditions. I know I have, but the Giants looked like they were 20 steps slower than yeah. the Cowboys yeah, in every single facet. I mean, they've got bigger problems if that's the best they're going to be, which it obviously it, it won't be, and maybe it was just one night. But the Cowboys look superior in every single facet, and the speed is something that other teams are going to have to deal with on both sides of the ball. My main takeaway was the defense. I don't know how you can come out of we that. We knew that I mean, training I, camp. But the thing is, they've been talking all summer, this can be a historically great defense. This can be one of the best defenses of all time. Our speed is un- unquestioned. We have depth at every position. They showed every single person that they can not only talk the talk, but they can walk the walk because they had – Seven sacks. Micah only had one. Oza Digizua had two. Dorrance Armstrong had two, and I think Demarcus Lawrence had one. I mean, they they have they're so deep. Chauncey Golston had one as well. They're so deep everywhere, especially along the D line, that it makes their secondary look like world. And you got to give two or three of those to Micah. Absolutely, he's getting double doubled team. the entire time. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that they got elite DBs that. Wrap up other receivers, cover them, blanket them. I mean, that leads to sacks too. But this was a deluge of of force from the Cowboys' defense too. I mean, it was not a fair fight. Had this been a boxing match, they would have stopped it in the third quarter. I mean, it was that overwhelming. And why the Giants kept running Daniel Jones out there is absolutely beyond me. I think they just didn't want to get shut out because forty to zero—that's the biggest shutout in Cowboy history. Um, They the last one was thirty-eight to zero and. 78 against the Baltimore Colts. I think they just wanted to get something going. They just wanted some semblance of like, okay, some positivity going into next week. But they, to the Cowboys' credit, they wouldn't allow that. They weren't going to allow that to happen. Even with the backups in on defense towards the end of the game. And since I was the wet blanket, I'll give you this little positivity. Last time the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, 95, opening game, Giants, Cowboys 35, Giants nothing. It's the, that is now the second biggest shutout of the Giants they've ever had. Third. <laughs> oh, Giants, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, one other thing about the defense before we can get over to uh, be a complete wet blankets on the offense. Um, the depth on the defense was also kind of staggering. Like, do you guys know who Wanye Thomas was before yesterday? Chuck and I, the first quarter, were saying, who's that? Who's yeah, that? right? <laughs> who's that? We had to figure who's out how to pronounce his name real quick before before we went on. Yeah, Bell. You can go right down the list. Yeah, Marquise Bell. guys that... You know, I would have thought, I think we all would have thought, right, you go to training camp, you go to OTAs, you go to mini camps. At some point, you would have heard a name or somebody talking about some of these guys. And it just goes to show you how much of a learning curve there is sometimes. I mean, yeah, it was very impressive that some of these guys that literally you had no idea who they were, were not only playing, but making plays. Thomas made two or three, not just the block kick. Marquise Bell was converted from a safety to a linebacker like two weeks ago. And he led the team in tackles last this week. Hmm. Like he had eight tackles in the linebacker position that we were all worried about after Marvion Overshone right. got hurt. What does that say about the depth of this and then team? They got like it's, it's, and then they got <laughs> Overshone that's going to come back next year. Like the the team's depth on defense is 
insane. And then they have who might be the best defensive player in the league. You think he's better than Aaron Donald, Micah, number 11? I think now now he will be. I think Donald, you know, is his best years now. What's Aaron Donald, 32, 33 years old? Something like that. He had a big yeah. game yesterday, too. I mean, it doesn't seem <laughs> you know, like did you guys, slowing down. Did you oh guys see that? Yeah, yeah, did you see that? Yes. <laughs> so funny. He just has a wide open run to the quarterback, and Gino's like, "Oh my god!" And throws it away. <laughs> Smart. Hey, if he was if he was running at me, I'd just run screaming too. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> too. Yeah, that was my favorite. I think there's a yesterday. good chance at the end of 17 games that you might say that Micah Parsons is the best defensive player in the NFL. I mean, and then you have T.J. Watt who had three sacks yesterday, and two. I think he had two forced fumbles on on Brock Purdy. Maybe so. not right now. Maybe the crowning him is a little early, but. I think by the end of this year or next, it's going to be he will be the new Aaron Donald. If you want to crown him, then crown the ass. That's right. They are who we thought they were. Um, let me look at my rundown real quick. I got lost in our in our conversation. Um, do you guys think that after last night, we've all been like Ugh, historically great? Ugh. Does this give you a little bit of pause? Like this defense could maybe be the 2013 Lob or the 85 Bears or the. 2000 Ravens could be I mean based on what we saw last night but again it's such a long year it's hard to make and reach these conclusions just after one week but I think it is encouraging that they talked the talk all summer and they walked the walk last night I mean that was about as impressive a defensive performance as you will ever see at any level they think they are was last night more bad Giants or good Cowboys I, I think, think it's it good w- Cowboys. Yeah, I do too. I th- I do too. I, I mean, I, I'll say, you know, I think the Giants, you know, they had an easier schedule last year and they got to the playoffs. Good for them. But, you know, sustaining what they did last year is going to be a little more difficult, obviously, because the schedule's a little more tougher. It's it's meant to be that way. So last night, I almost think it's like a it's a it's a it's hard to put a to kind of measure how the offense looked. Because by the time they took the field, they were up. Six zero, or they were up six zero, and then they were up fourteen zero, and like, what do you do with that? Or thirteen zero, excuse me. So, like, what do you do at that point? Like, you're already up. I, I don't know that that I don't know that that's a factor because I do think they've been waiting all summer to show what they can do, and I think Dak's the kind of leader, and that that unit was one that wanted to be well put together and look good, you know? So I don't know that that played much of a factor into it at all. We're talking about the offense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, okay, you got McCarthy calling plays for the first time in a real game situation. And all that that entails for the players that are trying to get a rhythm with all this too. They looked a little stiff, for lack of a better term. But again, it was raining. There were a lot of factors involved. we got to give the credit, <coughs> pardon me, to the Giants' defense on some regards. I mean, they, they were pretty good last year. So, you know, were they was everything firing on all cylinders? No, absolutely not. But it was week one, and, you know, what they looked like last night, you would hope, won't be what they look like a month from now. So I think there are going to be some growing pains. And, and maybe, maybe the score does take away a little sense of urgency. Yeah, that, I mean – between the score and not really maybe having a sense of urgency, and then also the, you, they said that they went to their rain plan pretty early on in that game because it was a downpour. Like you could see just how wet it was in the Meadowlands last night. Plus, that's not a great turf field anyway, um, from all accounts. So I don't know what I can take away from the offense. I can take away that 
they started using um, Kevante Turpin in more unique ways and are trying to get oh, him yeah. out in open space. Yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise, right? You thought he would just be the, you know, Inspector Gadget guy that would come in, but he got a lot of playing time no, and a lot of a touches. Focus. Yeah, they he's could, a focus. They're kind of using him, it, it looked like, as like a Cordero Patterson almost. So you're putting him in the backfield and, and getting him out on tosses or you're getting him on screens. You're just trying to get him in open field any way you can. So, I mean, he's still had a couple. I think he had a drop or two last night as well, though. So, I mean, you still want him to catch the ball when he's out as a receiver. But they're using they used him as a running back. He got his touchdown last night. He got in as a running back on a toss. Yeah, on a physical play like third and two or something like that, where uh, I was surprised that they trusted him to to get out to the outside and find a way to get in. But he's a special talent. He he's one of those guys they got to figure out. I mean, he's Tyreek Hill ish with his jitterbug quickness i think you also learned that they that dak likes ferguson dak likes jake ferguson a lot i think on the first drive he had four targets i mean they were trying to force feed jake ferguson there at the beginning of the game so dak likes his tight ends that's for sure it's been an, always a, a safety valve for him since he started his career was there anything else that caught your guys eye last night that we haven't talked about i mean they just to go over some of the stats the giants had 16 net passing yards <laughs> In an NFL game, they had 16 net passing yards, seven sacks. Um, They had they averaged 3.9 yards per rush on 28 rushes, uh, 108 yards. Cowboys had 122 yards rushing. Tony Pollard went went for 14 carries, 70 yards, two touchdowns. How do you guys think Tony Pollard looked? Fine, not great. I mean, okay, but again, stiff. I think like there just wasn't a lot of. It didn't look like everything was fluid. It did in that drive in the third quarter where they were attacking trying to get the ball downfield. But the thing that resonated with me more than anything, there was a point in that game where I was just watching Daniel Jones. And it was like he was dropping back not to pass. He was looking for – he was literally looking for where the pressure was coming from. And I don't know. You know, he got roughed early on in that game. But I don't know if that just planted a seed on him that, look, dude, you're in for a long night. We're going to batter you. We're going to tatter you. We're going to tar and feather you. But he just looked like his head was on a swivel the entire night. And again, credit to the Cowboy defense because it was coming from everywhere. Yeah, after those first two drives, Daniel Jones was basically just like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what you do at that point. I mean, when it's when the carnage is coming swiftly and as furious as it was coming, it was really something to behold. And I loved how the Cowboys, a couple of guys were offsides on purpose just to crush them at the end. Like, yeah. like you're up 40 to nothing. And there was like four sacks in a row, and two of them were because guys just flew off the edge, mm-hmm. like a snap count early. And it's just like, yeah. poor Daniel Jones getting crushed for no He's reason. He's like, can you guys just stop, please? Like, this is just ridiculous. I, I just love the sense of urgency from all of them. Their next next game is uh, going to be a real test. We'll see the Jets tonight. But their next game, Jets at home, 325 Central Time uh, in Jerry World. So that'll be a, that'll be an entertaining one, to say the least. Then you get, to, get put up against a real team. Giants aren't didn't look like one this week, so. <laughs> no, yeah, Rodgers doesn't look as see, well as Daniel Jones. Looking does to see at this how point. the Jets do tonight too. You yeah, know? yeah, that's going to be an interesting. And game. then a short week for the New Yorkers. So, advantage Cowboys. I mean, I don't know. Aaron Rodgers never lost in Jerry World. He never has. <laughs> Maybe this he will never be... had to face this defense either. That's true. That's true. David Chancellor and I will talk about that on uh, on Friday here on the podcast. So, we'll get get into a full preview of that on Friday. What's Let's... that line going to be? It depends if it depends on what happens tonight. Yeah. If the Jets come out and get embarrassed tonight, then I could see the Cowboys being three and a half, four point favorites. But if the Jets win tonight, I could see that being a two and a half, one and a half for the Cowboys. 
Probably they'll have at least the three for home field advantage. It's going to be somewhere around three, whether it's two and a half or three and a half. It'll be. It, it depends on what happens tonight. Interesting. That's in my, in my opinion, and then it'll be, probably be a low scoring game too. They'll probably put the line at like a 44, 43 for the over under. That'd be my guess. But I'm going to be really interested to see how the giant or how the Jets perform tonight in the Meadowlands, or I mean in um, yeah in the Meadowlands. Is their home tonight, right? Against the Bills? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're home tonight. Back to back games in the Meadowlands for him. I was, oh yeah, I remember uh, Stefan and Trayvon's uh, mom was like, "I get to sit the same seat twice." Right. So, that was full. Uh, another big win this week in college ball. Texas Longhorns came out and just destroyed Alabama. Like, not maybe not destroyed. They handily yeah. handily won yeah. that game. I agree. Um, this was the first double-digit loss in Tuscaloosa under a Nick Saban team in Alabama history. What does that say about Longhorns? I think it says a lot. I mean, I think I was surprised at their talent level at receiver, mm-hmm. the size of these guys, tight ends, everybody, and their ability to create separation from Alabama DBs. I mean, that that stood out to me. and. It also struck me, too, that Alabama's quarterback looked a little bit deer in the headlights at times. I mean, there's no question about his athletic ability, his arm strength, all of those things. But there were times when the pocket was collapsing and he was running backwards. And it just wasn't a good look for, you know, something you won't see from a veteran quarterback. But, you know, the natural tendency is the pressure's coming at you that you retreat from the pressure. But you've got to step into the pressure He'll learn that as he goes along, but I think the Longhorns were able to take advantage of that too. I don't know that the Texas defense played all that great, but they did create two huge turnovers in that game. And, you know, again, just what they were able to do on offense, I thought when they really wanted to go and, you know, go deep or attack, man, they looked awfully darn good. Better than I, you know, better than advertised. And they were advertised as being pretty darn good. Yeah, Quinn was one of the worst quarterbacks in, like, out of 134 last year. He was like 128. In deep ball percentage, like twenty two percent, and of of passes over twenty five. And he yards. was bad against Rice too. In that he respect. has decided to throw moon balls, and the touchdown to Worthy and the touchdown to Ad Mitchell were both. I'm just going to put a lot of air under it and let him go get it. And those were two great decisions. <laughs> Worked out. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mitchell comes over from Georgia. He was one of their best receivers last year. Because um, Texas has crazy NIL money, or Georgia does too. They just spend it other places. But uh, t- Chuck's point is exactly right. The thing that stood out to me was Sark has changed the number of guys on the roster that are going to play in the NFL on Sundays. Mm-hmm. The true freshman Anthony Hill Jr., number zero, the linebacker, beast. He was like number two player in the country. Switched from A and M to Texas. He's on the field against Alabama. His first game is an 18-year-old dominating. Mm-hmm. Um, the tight end, NFL. The two receivers, Mitchell and Worthy, NFL. Ewers, NFL. And then their front three, those guys were all 350-plus. They had the size. They have the athletes. Everybody's talking about moving to the SEC. and oh, Well, guess what? This isn't the Texas that you've known over the last three or four years. Sark's been recruiting <laughs> yeah. his tail off. It looks like an SEC team. Yeah, no sacks. <laughs> I mean, it, you were that yeah. all day to throw. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks are going to complete passes, although, man, those are some pretty balls that he threw. And the fact that he completed so many passes that were, you know, 15 yards or more. I mean, almost at least half, right? Quinn looked great. Like, 
the offensive line looked great. The offense in general looked really good. And the, to me, it was going to come down to how the offensive line protected Quinn and how Quinn could connect on the deep balls. And both of those, check, check. You, both of those, you can, you can check those off with a, with a pen, not a pencil. Um, but for me, the biggest, the biggest thing is Texas. I think Texas proved that they're back now. Like last year, they were one point away from beating Bama. And Bama was really good last year, as they are every year. This year, they came out in Tuscaloosa, won by double digits against a Bama team that we all think is pretty good. I think they, I think they just proved that they're national title contenders. I think you're right. And oh, I think that sure. the AP voters agree with you, too, to be able to vault them into the top four now. I mean, there were some people that were picking them to go to the Final Four. I don't remember any of us doing that. Did you? I think it was me. Okay, nice work. You did? I just play off? I, well, you got FSU, I and they're three it. now, so... They're three? <laughs> yeah, FSU's three now. So Don and I look like geniuses right okay, now. Okay, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll play catch up. We'll see how this <laughs> this all ends up going on. But yeah, just a mighty impressive performance. And again, to do that on the road in that place? 100,000 people in that stadium. 100,000 people and you shut all of them up. Except for uh, Matthew McConaughey. Who, by the way, <laughs> how about Matthew McConaughey's weekend? He's on the sidelines with Del Conte at the Texas game, watching the game sidelines in Alabama with the athletic director, and then goes into the locker room and he's hanging out with the players. And then the first person that Novak Djokovic hugs in his own family box after he wins his 24th Grand Slam is Matthew McConaughey, who I guess jumped on a private jet and got to New York, and then he's sitting in Joker's family box. That's a sports fan's double dip weekend. What a weekend. What a time to be alive. I mean, that's who I would like to hug as well. I mean, if he's in your, if he, if he's in your box and I see my mom and I see Matthew McConaughey, I'd be like, all right, come here, Matt. Well, it was kind of like he was just kind of the first one there. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. Um, last thing on Texas real quick. So they've faced a lot of grief for going to the SEC and for leaving the Big 12 and kind of separating themselves. Do you think that this win shows you that Texas is going has made the right decision, is going to be a force in the SEC, and has kind of turned the page into a new Texas era? I don't think the competitiveness of it has anything to do with it. It's the right move because of the money. It's the right move because of the recruiting. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be a dominant force. SEC is very good. A lot of really good teams. But they're Texas, and they've got as much recruiting swag as anybody. And, you know, for the money they're going to get going to the SEC, I think it was the right call. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer if you're Texas and Oklahoma to go do this. Will they be a force? I, that's kind of hard to answer, I think, at this point. Because I think you can be a force like Ole Miss in that conference, but like not really be a force. Like Ole Miss is really good. And if you play them, you're going to know you've been in a fistfight. Same thing with South Carolina. I mean, all these schools, that they've got good programs, but it's such a tough league to play in week in and week out. I mean, if you don't have a roster – it's super deep like Alabama. It's hard to show up at the end of the year because if you don't have three deep at every single spot, which most of these schools don't, it's hard to compete week in and week out and be that team. So will Texas be that, you know, iconic 
SEC marquee team? I don't know, but they could be awfully darn good because, I mean, as we saw the other day, who's going to want to play them, especially early on in the year when they're healthy? They don't have a competitive game until October. They play Wyoming next week at home. Then they're at Baylor. They'll win both of those games. Then they're home to Kansas. They'll win that game. They play Oklahoma on the 7th, and then they have Houston, BYU, and then Kansas State. They might walk to November. Well, Wyoming is unbeaten. And again, it's hard I mean, they to, beat Ted, it's but. hard to it's it's hard to project this out because again, I still stand by what I said earlier, which is them defecting from the Big 12 is going to unleash a lot of neurons in other teams' brains to amp up their level of intensity to let them know that it was a mistake for them to leave and you know, again, it's going to cost you numbers in terms of you know, who's healthy and who's not. I, I just think there's a long way to go, but certainly Texas is off to a great start. But I think Nobody si- would debate that. I think they silenced us a little bit of that this week, though. I, th- I think by proving you can go into Tuscaloosa, face that environment under that head coach, under all, with those players, they kind of proved that, fine, give us your best shot, you know? I mean, and, and they're going to take it on the chin, and they're going to keep going forward. And I, they proved a lot to me on Saturday. Yeah, they, they proved to me that they could be one of the four standing. Well, I mean, they lost their quarterback so. last year, and they almost knocked off Alabama, and then they were just kind of, you know, a yeah. good team, but not great last yeah, year. Yeah, with Hudson Card at quarterback. Right. It all, it go, look at Texas State. Look at Colorado. It all goes back to athletes. Forget the brand and the shirts and skins and the uniform that you're wearing. If you flip and you get athletes that are going to play on Sundays, that's what Texas did. They're just like Colorado. These guys are going to play on Sundays. They got the hosses. Well, a couple other guys that we hope play on Sundays where there's some roadrunners on that list as well. But Don, I want to talk about Frank first. Don, you said last night on Sports Sunday, and I, I agree with you. There was a moment on Saturday where we genuinely thought that we had seen the last of Frank Harris in a, in a roadrunner uniform. There was a second. Yeah, there was a like, moment when yeah, he got hurt and when then he, got he the went off. the first time, yeah, he went off for two plays, he came back. Then and he that got hurt awkward again. throw, right? His, his first play back, he's down on the, just writhing in pain. I was thinking... Wow, what a valiant effort to come try to play one more time. Yeah. And then now it's over. And it looked like his knee. The same I, knee. I thought it was his I thought it was his, the same knee that he's had four knee. procedures on this this yeah. offseason, the one with the pat that had the patch on it. I was like I, I honestly I turned the game off after. I he did got too. Hurt. I was so like sickened, you know. Yeah, I just We the, saw him walk off. He turned down the cart and walked into the locker room. And I was doing some other things. Uh you know what I was doing? I was hooking up all my new YouTube TV. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I uh, was doing other things, and I came back to the game in the second half because I had watched those two plays with Eddie Lee, and it was not good. And I came back, and he's playing in the second half. Yeah, and I was like, "Honey, Frank's back in." <laughs> she was like, "What?" Yeah. Did you think? Did you think that as well? Like, I was not watching the game. Sorry to say, I was watching it on my ticker. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I just remember. You know, I was surprised, A, UTSA going for it early on fourth down and getting it, and then Texas State kind of doing the same thing. I thought, oh, man, this is really cool. I mean, two teams that are, you know, just letting it go. They're not caring about really, you know, the ramifications of a loss. We're playing to win. And, you know, obviously I've seen the tape of Frank since, but, I mean, I think it's a miracle every week that this guy is able to get out and go do what he does and, you know, hopefully he's able to go on Friday against Army. I was extremely happy to see that he came back and played, but I also was like, I didn't want him to at that point. Like, I just, 
it's it's at the point where when we're watching UTSA and I see Frank get hit, I'm just afraid that he's gonna like almost like watching Tua. You know, it's like you're just kind I, of you're kind of afraid that he's gonna not get back up. After talking to him this off season, it's I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but it's been in my back of my mind from the very beginning. Like, how long does he last this year? You know, four knee procedures in the off season. Like, how long does he last? And um, so. I think every day with Frank Harris playing quarterback is a is a good day, a bonus. Yeah, and it, it's uh, it rings kind of in my mind. A couple of weeks ago, Jeff Trailer was like, "One day, he's not going to be our quarterback," and I think it's becoming painfully apparent that that day is coming, yeah. like very very soon. Whether but, it's at the end of this year, whether it's some point in this year, whoever I think we all I think we can all say that we hope Frank is fully healthy all year and he ha- lives a great life and he has a great senior season and all that stuff, but. He's not. He's not going to be here forever, and I think all the UTSA fans have to kind of accept that. And what a what a ride he's taken us all on. And I will say this: I fully expect him to play against Army. the The way he addressed the media in the post game, um, I listened to his whole interview. It's his toe. It's not even his knee. It's his toe. He kind of laughed it off like, "I w- I wasn't going to sit out with a toe. Like I didn't want to get made fun of. It's just a toe." He got a shot in the rear end, and he got a shot in the toe to deal with the pain, but it's nothing structural that will keep him out. It's just managing the pain. The bigger issue is he's not had any practice reps all season until last week before Texas State. So is this toe going to keep him out of having meaningful practice reps where he can continue to stay sharp so that we don't get back into where he was in the opener against Houston? And then you got the Vols the following week. I don't know. I mean, you know, at some point do you realize – or does it make more sense to let him rest for a week? You know, would you rather have him for Tennessee? I think you could probably roll him out for Army. I think probably could, beat Army without him. I, I agree. I agree. I don't know. We'll see. Um, You're not going to keep him off the field. If he wants to play. Oh, by the way, Tennessee's three o'clock kick just announced. Mm. All right. Um, besides the Frank stuff, it was an extreme. It was a really gutty win by by UTSA on a much better Texas State team. Like. Texas State showed that they're not Texas State of old. They're not. They're not going to be pushed around. Um, my main takeaway though is UTSA's defense is 100%. unbelievable. 100%. Trey Moore is an is a man amongst boys. What did we hear, Chuck, over the summer? Second rounder. He had three sacks. I mean, and, by and, himself. And, and you know what's coming, right? I mean, he talked about that before the opener that he knows he's going to get doubled and chipped, and he just like, well, I know this is what's coming, but. Still incumbent upon me, a la Micah Parsons, to just go do what I do. And I mean, again, you know he's the guy that you have to stop. Yeah, uh, you can't. He's just that much better than everybody else. Uh, I won't say the team or the school, but it was a SEC NIL 350G offer this last offseason. And he stayed here. He stayed. Yeah, the same kinds of schools that were shunning him during the recruiting process. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great story to me. I mean, yeah. Nobody wanted him, was going to go to Army, decided that he wasn't the guy to go to a service academy, which, I mean, it's not me either. So, and he decided to stay here, and luckily, a scholarship came open late for UTSA, but they were kind of on the fence about him. And now look what you got. I mean, breaks Davenport's tackle for loss record last year, I mean... I was just what, about a, to say, what a stud. He's and the, just a, what a great kid, too. He's the best pass rusher since Marcus Davenport at the school. And, and it and goes. Marcus Davenport went 14th overall, I think. So 
And props to Texas High School Coaches Association because Larry Hill took Jeff Trailer at breakfast and convinced him, like, I know, I know, Jeff's, well, he doesn't run this. I know, he's not big enough. I know, take him and you will thank me later. Trust me. He's that guy. Next time you see Jeff, ask him if he's taking Larry Hill to breakfast. He's that guy. <laughs> and you know what? Larry Hill was right. He's that guy. Absolutely yeah, I mean, and Larry Hill, I mean, he's got skins on the wall, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the guy that's coached multiple NFL players, including one that's playing linebacker right now for the Titans. So he knows what they look like. Yeah. It props to uh, Jamal Jeter as well. Or yeah. Jamal Jeter as well, Texas State running back for yeah. Brennan Bear. So props to him for getting into the end zone. But – the Texas, uh, the UTSA defense, excuse me, had seven sacks. They only allowed two or one point one yards per rush. Yeah, and that's a GJ that, Kenny offense. <laughs> yeah, that's is really that, good. Is that good. And again, it's something that really stands out because of what Coach Kenny has done historically with offenses. I mean, if you score over forty on Baylor, you would think you'd be able to at least, you know, if we start the season, you'd be able to at least score. 24 against UTSA, but didn't happen. Well, the, big, the biggest stand of the entire game was after uh, Cole Wilson got, got caught that bomb from TJ Finley. They get stopped at like the five yard line. Turf monster, man. It could be a totally different game. Oh, absolutely. And force a field goal there. Instead, so instead of making it 20 to 17, it's 20 to 13, and it's, it's a whole different game. It's a turf monster and then a, and a pre snap penalty, too. Yep. To I mean, it was, but, it, but that made it a whole different ball game. Totally. Holding, holding him to a field goal there just completely changed the entire outlook of the game. If he keeps the, his feet there, Texas State might win that football absolutely. game. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, it was, it was a gutty win from UTSA. I was. Uh, impressed. I was also impressed. Let's just give it up to the UTSA fans as well. Almost yeah. fifty thousand strong in the Alamo Dome. They had to keep opening up sections yeah, for yeah. people. I mean, there was someone on Twitter was like, "Oh, it's extremely quiet in here." And I was like, well, "Frank Harris just got hurt, so why don't we why don't we just chill yeah. for a sec?" You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, and then there was talk at some point about removing Texas State from their schedule. So kudos to them for keeping them on because you know that obviously added to the crowd. San Marcos ain't that far away, and of course, there's quite a few alums that live here too. Absolutely. And Chuck, to your Southwest Texas State Bobcats, Texas State. I'm sorry, for me they're always SWT. The uniforms are with major high praise for that color scheme. Those gold helmets with the burgundy or maroon or whatever, the way they do their color combination. There's a lot of teams that wear gold and some sort of maroon or red. You know. USC's got bright yellow and burgundy, and Texas A&M does it with white. That combination, there is kind of the 49ers, but with a different burgundy, first class. It's good also looking. kind of it's kind of a lighter gold too. Yeah, it's good. It's Vegas gold. Yeah, it's Vegas gold. Yeah. Um, so last thing before we get out of here, two. What are your main takeaways through two weeks with UTSA? Offense not sharp. Defense great. Got to win the got to win the ones that you have to win, like Army. Um, offense hasn't shown me that they can compete with Tennessee. Uh, but I think what we've seen from the defense is they'll be able to compete for a conference championship. I think it's just a matter of getting sharper as the season goes along, right? I mean, they've proven they can run the ball. They've got elite receivers and getting healthier at the moment or by the moment at that spot. You know, can Frank stay upright? You know, God bless him, man. He's a... He's a warrior showing everybody how to do this, right? Playing when you're not 
He does it better than anybody. And the loss of Makai Hart is big. Absolutely. He goes down at right tackle again. Went down the first game of the year last year. Had ACL surgery. Feel, feel horrible for him. He's got. He's married. Got two kids. Already has his degree. Was on the NFL scouts radar before the first knee injury. This one's career ending. It looks like Jeff said eight weeks, but let's see. Yeah, I mean, I feel horrible for him because it, it was like right back to back. Him and Frank, like in that yeah. second in that second quarter. It was, yeah, it was Frank and then him, or him and then Frank. I can't, don't remember what the order, but he was in a lot of pain. But yeah, I was like. This game's going off until until the second half. I turned that off immediately. I did yeah. not want to see any more. It's carnage. Um, my main takeaway is UTSA's defense has done what UTSA's offense has done the last two years and is carrying this team until the other side of the ball can, can kind of live up JT's to their metal. coming back this week, I think. It's going to be fun. Um, so I think that's all we got for you today on the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. We... Have a heck, had a heck of a weekend, guys. I'm not going to mention uh, Texas A&M because, you know, why do we need to talk about that? <laughs> Miami yeah, got the best of them. We sure did. <laughs> Is there any any sort of a hot seat for Jimbo? Why would... I don't know. I don't Back know. to $85 million? Let's, well, Why don't yeah. we ask the boosters if they want to pay $85 million? I don't know. Their offense still looked good. Their defense looked like they're crap. They're a little anxious. <laughs> they're a little anxious there in Aggie land. Yeah. Wednesday, we're going to be bringing back the High School Hype Squad, previewing Bernie Champion and the New Braunfels Canyon. Our guy, Zach Hedrick, will be joining me for that one. Give uh, Chuck and Don the day off for that as we head into week four of the high school football season. Remember, you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. And, you know, you can, I think you can get YouTube TV. You can watch it on YouTube now, Don. So, all you got, you're all hooked up. I am not popular with Mrs. Harris right now. <laughs> Why? User application. Oh, okay. Education. We'll get Michael Seifert needs to come over to your guys' house and it's, give you a run through of everything. It's, uh, it's, it's trial uh, and error. Change baby. is hard. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new remote. We don't know where all the buttons are yet. That's right. You know? <laughs> I want to go back to the way it was. And we gotta we gotta give props to Chuck who beat the crap out of me in fantasy this week. And what's that? Even a blind squirrel. <laughs> Chuck's team team scored 160 points uh, thanks to Dallas's defense last night, so that's good. Uh, Churchill and and Madison coming down to the wire today. That one had to be delayed, so we'll get a fight song next week from you guys. So uh, that's good. Please download, rate, review, subscribe, give us some feedback. We will be back on Wednesday, me and Zach Hedrick right here on the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.